1: Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Toni Rose and she, they pronouns, a community engagement manager at Modern Classroom, and I am joined today by Rachel Johnson, a department head of science, high school science chemistry teacher, and Modern Classroom expert mentor. Rachel is also the co-host and founder of EduGals. So welcome, Rachel. Hi, nice to be here. It's so exciting to be in this space with you, and I'm so, so grateful for you saying yes to the podcast. So before we get started, how are
2: you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good. I This morning, I just managed to get all of my report card marks and comments done two days early, so that's kind of a, a win for me. Two days early? <laughs> Rachel, that's unheard of. <laughs>
1: How do you do it? What's your, what's your magic? What's your power? Like, what? How?
2: (laughs) Um, I, I can't live without the app Todoist. If I didn't have that, my life would be a a big, disorganized, chaotic mess. Let's just put it that way.
1: Okay, I'm definitely going to have to check that out because my life is a chaotic mess right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you for sharing that, Rachel. Um, so, you know, before we get started with everything we're going to talk about today, tell us more about who you are and Educals. Also, congratulations on being invited to join the Education Podcast Network. That's so exciting.
2: Yeah, so like as as you said, in terms of my role as, a, as an educator, I'm a department head of science for a very, very large department of about 25 science teachers. So it's massive. And then um, EduGals, oh my goodness, where do I start with that? Uh, that was kind of born from a friendship with uh, Katie Atwell and myself, who you know, we just we really wanted to help teachers and we were trying to find a way to help educators out there outside of just the people that we interacted with day to day. So we kind of just started a podcast. We started a blog, YouTube channel, and uh, just one day hit record and have been going ever since. So what, did you do all three of those things at once? Oh, no. Or was it just no. like, oh,
1: let's do one thing first? Okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> How did you figure out which one to start with?
2: We started with the podcast. And kind of the reason we started there is we tried blogging and we found that we were having, I don't know, a lot of issues, I would say, with with motivating ourselves to write. And we found that just having the conversations between ourselves and chatting about what was going on in our lives, in our classrooms, how we were integrating technology into our classrooms like that came naturally to us. And so the idea of the podcast came up. And we began with the podcast. Going from then, we would take the podcast episode and create a really sort of detailed show notes blog post that went along with it. So we got our blogging in that way. And that sort of helped motivate and build that sort of part of it. And then the YouTube stuff kind of just came along because occasionally we talk about a tech tool on the podcast, and we would want to create some sort of tutorial or support material that went along with it. So, you know, the the YouTube channel is not super active, but uh, we kind of post things on there as as they pop up. I
1: love that. That's so so great. Okay, so um, again, how long have y'all been doing this?
2: So the podcast has been running for about two and a half years now. We started right at the beginning of the pandemic and really the pandemic is what helped drive us to hit the record button. We were, we were talking about podcasting for, you know, probably a year or so before that, but uh, never really built up the courage to hit record until uh, everything sort of shut down and we we knew we needed a way to help support teachers outside of the work that we were doing daily in our schools.
1: It's it's fantastic the the resources that you all put together. I, I just I know when I first came across Edugals, you had reached out and you know kind of invited me in and in that space, and it was really great. And I saw your blog blog post and. Immediately, I went to Zach, and I said, Zach, this is what we aspire to do. We aspire to be like EduGals, and we aspire to do what they're putting out, especially what comes along with the podcast. So that was really, really great um, things for me to just see how organized you two were and how supportive you are of your teacher community as well. So listeners, definitely check out EduGals. They have some great stuff there. Um, So Rachel... As I've mentioned before, you're one of our all-star expert mentors for Modern Classroom. Tell us more about your journey.
2: I think my journey with uh, with Modern Classrooms it it started probably a good ten years ago, and I know this is before Modern Classrooms itself. But I started with uh, flipping my classroom about ten years ago. So I've I've been creating instructional videos for a very very long time, and uh, played around with flip classroom structures in my classroom itself, I found very quickly it turned into a self-paced environment just naturally because, you know, all of the many things that kind of go on in students' lives. And um, kind of while I was on that journey, I always had an interest in mastery-based learning, but I could never quite figure out like how to bring all the pieces together and how to make it work really cohesively. And then about two years ago, Yeah, around two years ago, I came across the Modern Classrooms model uh, through some of the work I was doing in my role as an innovation coach for the board at the time. And as soon as I found it, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is it. Like everything just clicked. This was exactly kind of the framework that I was looking for. You know, i had been trying to implement so many of the little pieces, but Modern Classrooms itself just brought everything together for me. It solved that mastery piece for me. And, you know, I, I immediately saw how much value there was in this model. So some of the work I did with, with my coaching role in the board, I, I started immediately bringing in like professional learning communities to help others learn the model. I used it in some of the teacher facing PD that I created as well. And um, I'm pretty excited because now I'm back in the classroom this year. I'm implementing the model fully as a teacher um, and loving it and would never, ever, ever go back. And then, you know, I, I became a mentor after a little while with working with this model. And I have to say, I also love, love, love my work as a mentor. Um, I learned so much from my mentees that I work with. It's, you know, it uh, it's helped me grow my practice as well. And I just love being able to connect with so many educators around the world um, to, you know, to help them learn this model. And I think that's definitely one of my favorite parts
1: about being a mentor for Modern Classroom is that, you know, I got to see and hear all of the the different expertise and experiences of teachers all around the country and it really pushed my thinking as well because i was working with teachers who taught content that i had no idea about right so for example dance um i taught some arts uh, or i mentored teachers who were teaching arts and so it was all very much like oh my gosh can i do this or can i not do it and it's like no i can actually and it was really nice um Another thing, too, that you had said, I know, previous to me hitting record on this podcast is, you know, you and I were talking about the joys of being around our young learners, just the youth in general, and how much fun it probably is to be surrounded by kids again. Um, I know that if I have an opportunity to get back in the classroom, I don't know if I could say no. It's just the kids are so much fun. Like, they bring out the best in me. They definitely make me feel young as well. And then to be able to um, implement all of the things that I've learned from educators all around the world implementing this model, I feel like my classroom would be so amazing.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm, For sure. You know, my work as a coach was great. I loved working with teachers, but you miss that connection with students. You miss building those relationships with students. Even if you are in other teachers' classrooms, it's, it was the one piece that was missing for me. So yeah, like you said, I'm, I'm so grateful to be able to now build those relationships again with students. And I'm loving every minute of it. Yeah, I'm
1: that that is
2: that's amazing.
1: Uh, Welcome back to the classroom. And I'm glad that you're able to just bring so much joy and also your kids bringing you so much joy as well. So, um, okay, well, thank you for sharing your journey with us. Um, And so you and your co-host, Katie, you found passion in ed tech and you created EduGals, right? And you decided, you know what, we want to be able to support teachers in a way that I haven't had um, that kind of support. Right. So you saw kind of a gap and you decided, like, you know what, I want to create this for our teachers and so what is a tip that you have for someone who is interested in pursuing their passion but may be afraid to do so i mean like you said you two right have a podcast blog and a youtube channel which is a lot to manage because you yourself rachel are doing so many different things right and so i definitely have so much to learn from the both of you and so how do you manage this plus teaching plus family plus everything else that you're doing
2: Well, okay. So, so let's go to the, the first part, first part of the question. And in terms of a tip to get started, if this is something you're interested in doing, it's just start. If you, uh, if you go back and listen to some of our first episodes of our podcast, like for us, they're very kind of, I don't know, cringeworthy to listen to because they sound super scripted and we don't sound very comfortable behind the microphone, but just by hitting that record button and just getting started. We have grown as we've gone through this process. And we've learned so much about ourselves as podcasters. And not only as podcasters, but podcasting has helped us reflect on who we are as well as educators. And so we've grown enormously as educators just because we've gone on this journey. So that's my tip. If you want to get started, just start. Start with one thing and start small and just kind of keep building and keep trying to improve your skills as you go along. Now, in terms of managing everything, (laughs) um, Katie and I, we have such a good partnership. Um, We're very good friends outside of school. And um, we kind of always say we complement each other very well because I have sort of like that math science kind of side of education. And then Katie is an expert in working with our English language learners um, and teaching ESL courses and English and and that sort of humanities side of a piece. So we complement each other very well on there. And then in terms of our partnership with getting the podcast out, Katie takes on all of the writing parts. So she does all like the detailed blog posts and everything that goes with our episodes. And then I do all the, the more technical stuff, like the audio editing and things like that. Um, And really, like, the team effort, you know, we make time for it. It's our creative outlet. It's our passion. It's, it actually is something we look forward to doing every week. So that's kind of, how we get everything done and, and how we prioritize that we want to do this podcast and want to continue doing it. And then I guess, as, as I mentioned earlier, for me personally, like I, I keep myself organized with Todoist and I couldn't live without that, that app for sure. <laughs> That's I mean
1: that all sounds really fascinating and I definitely will check out that app. Um I I love that you and Katie kind of work off of each other's strengths and weaknesses so you can kind of delegate or like Divvy up who's going to do what. Right. Because I think that's what a partnership is about. Right. Like, okay, cool. Like, I would love to do this by myself, but it's even better when you have someone else doing this thing alongside you. Right. And so this is something that I tell our educators all the time or just educators in general, is that if you're going to try something new it's great to have a thought partner it's great to have someone kind of through like going through this process with you just so that they can you know give insight give their perspective um, give their thoughts and really give that support as well and so I really love that you also said you have to make time for it like this is something that you both really wanted to do and because you have all of these things that you're doing We can never, we never as educators have enough time, right? We have to make time for the things that we want to do. Okay. Well, yeah, no, that's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know again, totally inspired by you too. I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but it's going to be some cool stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe outside of work, maybe, you know, not, I don't know. We'll see, but, and so you know, this month, we're focusing on motivation and retention, retention, meaning retaining learning, right? So how can our students retain the learning that that that's happening in our classroom? So tell us more how you mod- motivate educators to try something new amidst all the things that are happening right now.
2: That's that's a, a loaded question, Tony Rose, but uh, I'm going to I'm going to do my best to answer this. So I think probably one of the best strategies is finding an easy entry point to try, like finding something small, um, starting with your why, you know, having knowing what the reason is behind trying something new, um, is going to help sort of, um, make that change come into play. So because change does take time, um, it doesn't happen without a good reason to do so. So, um, like, I, I can give just an example, might be um, if I was trying to motivate my teachers in my department to try the modern classrooms model, I might share out just lesson classifications, you know, the must do, should do, aspire to do part of the model, because I feel like in the model, that's something that's easy and tangible for educators to try without having to shift too much of what they're doing in their classrooms. So they could take, for example, their practice problems, and then just kind of redefine, you know, which ones are maybe must do, should do, aspire to do, or something like that. And then the reason I kind of like this approach is because starting small gives you those then easy wins. It helps to build that momentum um, for change. Um, and then once you kind of get one win, then that drives that momentum to then encourage those educators to continue trying more after they've experienced that success. And I really
1: like that you pointed this out because I know time and time again, we have teachers, we have educators who come and ha- and say like, hey, I really want my peers and my colleagues to take a look at this, but there's just no interest right now. And so I think what you said, right, having this like entry point, starting out really small and then having those easy wins as opposed to being like, okay, we're going to do all three pillars of the model. You're going to do self-pacing, blended learning and mastery-based learning. And it's like, Oh my gosh, how do we even get started? I don't have the capacity for this. I don't have the time and energy for this. And so, a lot of the times, like other educators who haven't been exposed to this model are just kind of like, no, I can't. Right. Um, But, like you said, just like with, with, with our learners, right, scaffolding. So that this model is more accessible for educators and breaking it down, chunking it into smaller pieces so that there are smaller wins. So I like that you said starting out with lesson classifications. I feel like you're right. That is something pretty simple that educators can take a look at their curriculum and say like, hey, what are our must do's? What are the things that students must know? And then what are some things that would be nice for our students to know? And that could be our should do and aspire to do's. Uh, and, and so I really I really like that. And, and it's funny because I haven't even considered that right um, up until you just said it. Because in my head, I'm just like, oh, well, our educators are overwhelmed. So, of course, they're going to say no. Of course, they're going to be hesitant. Of course, they're not going to want to do this because they're overwhelmed with everything that's happening. But I get, again, like you said, an entry point, right? Starting with the why. And it just goes back to my classroom, too. Our students also want to know why all the time. Whatever. It could be a system. It could be a procedure. It could be a rule. It could be content, a skill, whatever my students were always constantly asking me, why, why are we doing this? Why are we learning this? Why is this important? And so to kind of just keep that in mind, it's like
2: a light bulb moment for me, Rachel. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I think I think one thing, like it's it's really important to remember that, you know, a lot of these these teaching and learning strategies we use with our students, they also work for our adult educators. Yeah, and I'm just,
1: I'm at all right now, that it's like so simple as this, right? And it's like, oh, that makes sense. And and I just got back from um, doing a school site visit in Tulsa and I had a conversation with first grade teachers, you know, and they were really into the model. And then all of a sudden um, they went, you know, they went to the Virtual Summer Institute. They attended and did and completed the VSI, right, this past summer. And so they created their unit and they were so excited. They're They also teach together uh, or plan together. And so I'm like, oh, they have everything going, right? Like they have each other. They went through the mentorship program. They know exactly what they wanted to do. And then as soon as school started, it was like, hey, you actually have a brand new curriculum. Here's all new technology. (laughs) And so they were both like, wait a minute. We just planned all of these things. But now... I'm overwhelmed with all of the new things that the district is giving us, and so I think it's really important um, because I did remind them. I'm like, hey, let's start with lesson classifications, and I didn't even know that that was what I was doing with scaffolding and creating an entry point that educators can feel successful in. So, and it's a, this is a really great way, and I think that's a great takeaway from our for our listeners as well, because I know time and time we get that question of like, how can I get people to buy in to this model or how can I get people to be more excited or even just like check out the model, right? Um and so I think this is this is such a great way to do it. And another thing too that I had been learning recently is that, you know, teachers are so used to having new initiatives thrown at them all the time. And so our teachers are so used to just being like, you know what? Actually this is something that the school district uh, want us to do, but like, there's not going to be a follow-up. So I'm not going to do that. And I only say that because I was that educator. (laughs) And so, you know, when, when educators hear like, Hey, here's a new thing we're trying a lot. There's a lot of pushback, right. Of just like, you know what? That's actually, okay, cool. You say, we're going to do that, but I'm actually not going to do it because there's not going to be an accountability piece um, that goes along with it. And so I think, one thing that I've been telling um, our educators who've been so excited to talk about modern classrooms is like, hey, you know what? Figure out what the desire is in your community. Figure out if it's, you know, blended learning, figure out if it's self-paced or figure out if it's mastery-based learning, right? What is the focus? What is the desire that teachers have? And Focus on that as opposed to just being like, here's Modern Classroom's project. Here's a brand new instructional model to figure out to fix all of your problems. And it's like, no, that's actually not what we want because then it's so overwhelming. <laughs> and it's just not accessible, like you said, right? Like scaffolding it, making sure there's an entry point, and then starting out with the why. So long winded. I apologize, Rachel. I'm just so excited that I now have the words to articulate. <laughs> to share with other educators what they could do. (laughs) Um, Okay, so, you know, speaking about technology, how can educators use technology to motivate their learners? And how do you use technology to motivate your educators?
2: So my, my sort of whole philosophy around technology and the use of technology, whether it's with my learners or with my educators, is really starting from defining what the learning goal is. Like, what do you hope to accomplish or achieve? Um, Because technology itself is not a motivator. Um, Just because we have these shiny tech tools doesn't necessarily mean that they're the best way to get at your learning goal. So having a very, very clearly defined learning goal first is needed because then you can take a look at that and go, all right, will technology enhance or support that learning goal? And then what tools do I have available that might enhance or support that learning goal? And you can go from there. So, you know, say, for example, with professional learning, you know, the learning goal, if if the goal is to retain learning, you know, is is there, there could be multiple ways that you could approach it, you could do a live sort of session with people, or you could record a video or record a podcast, you know, and which one is going to help retain learning the best for that. For me, you know, I sort of see that as being a video is fantastic, and it's going to be very beneficial and motivating for teachers, because um, it, it gives teachers a little bit more autonomy to drive their own learning, like, we're giving them the, the chance to watch that at their own pace, to be able to go back, to rewatch sections. And so for me, that, that would be motivating. It would help retain the learning. And so that would be a good use case then of using technology to enhance that learning. I think as well, also with the tool itself, like the choice in the tool itself can also be motivating. depending on on what the tool is. So like if there are multiple ways that you could get at that learning goal, you could provide choices in terms of what tool the learner could be using to access that learning goal.
1: And again, I'm I'm again, processing what you've said, and it's it's key, right? It's really important for our listeners to understand that technology itself is not a motivator. Uh, That is so powerful. And I think also a reminder for myself because sometimes I think I get too excited about all the tech tools that I can use that I want to implement all of that. And then I kind of steer away from the learning objective or the outcome that I really want my participants or my learners to get at. And so I think, thank you again. Thank you for the reminder. Uh, That's a great way to start and answer this question, honestly, because you're right. Technology is not itself a motivator. It's the choices. It's how you enhance your learning. It's how you use it really to make sure that students are able to access the learning as well as to feel successful in their learning journey. And so I really appreciate you saying that. Um, And so when it comes to technology, what do you have any particular favorites that you would say has really enhanced and made your learning and teaching that much more engaging?
2: Anything Google, for sure. Uh, everything in our in our school board is done through Google. So there are so many amazing tools, even just within the Google suite itself, like Jamboards. And uh, I, I create all my lessons through Google Slides, kind of like, almost like a hyperdoc kind of navigation through the lesson itself. and then I think the other the other tools that I really really love are all of my screencasting type of tools. And depending on the kind of video that I'm making for my learners, I might pick a different tool. So if I need to annotate more, I love explain everything. It's one of my favorite. Uh, things to use on my iPad to create videos when I have to annotate a lot. And as a chemistry teacher, I have to annotate tons for those videos. But then maybe if I'm doing more of like a slide presentation and just kind of navigating through some slides that way, then I might use Screencastify. So again, even even the choice of tool that I'm picking to record my videos is going to depend on what the goal is for my video. So I would say those are probably the tools that I end up using the most in my classroom.
1: And that in itself makes a lot of sense too, right? There's just a lot of intentionality behind why and how you choose the tools that you have in your classes, which I think is really commendable. Um, And so I guess this is going off script, Rachel, and I hope you don't mind. How How do you navigate teacher challenges, right? Like educator challenges when it pertains to technology? Because I know that we have a couple, we have a good size or a good amount of educators who are just not comfortable with using technology to enhance their learning and teaching experiences. How do you get those educators on board with trying technology?
2: I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier and, and finding again, those small little places where you have those entry points. And also understanding for our educators, you know, what, maybe what, what a current struggle is, or what a current problem is that they need to solve in their classroom, and then showing them how they could potentially solve that, that struggle or challenge with technology. And I guess it, it almost comes down to personalizing the learning for the educator themselves, right? You have to, you have to know, know your learner. And again, it's it's coming kind of coming back to all of those things that we do for our students. Like this is also really great for adult learning too. Is knowing our learner, knowing where their comfort levels are, knowing what their struggles are, and then finding those small wins and starting small with them, and helping them try that one thing that's going to get them that small win that's going to help build momentum and build that buy-in so that they continue to want to learn more. And you said
1: something really powerful, right? Personalizing that learning for educators. I think as someone who work with educators now, just like yourself, right? Really being intentional with disrupting the traditional way that we've done PD for our educators. And so, you know, we always tell our educators differentiate for your learners, but then we don't differentiate for our educators when they're learning something new. And so I think it's really important to keep in mind where like the lesson classifications again, right? The must do, should do, and aspire to do, just so that we can cater to all the different levels that are coming into that Um, that space. Because, you know, again, like teachers come in with their expertise. And so they are expert at what they do. They know exactly how to do certain things and they don't know how to do certain things. And it's kind of it's really powerful when we create that space of personalized learning for educators as well um, and just allowing for them to continue working with their strengths and weaknesses. And so um, I know from my experience when I worked with a school, um, it was Some of the teachers have never created an instructional video before, and so it was very daunting for the teachers. And they're just like, oh, this is going to take a lot of work. It's going to be so time consuming. And I don't know. I don't even know what I'm going to say. And so we spent that entire day uh, going over blended learning, what blended learning looks like, and then providing them the space to play right? Providing them that space to fail and then providing the the space to celebrate each other, the growth that we had in a matter of a couple of hours that day. And so at the end of the PD session, um, the learning objective was to be able to create an instructional video just so that they could feel comfortable and feel supported as I'm there guiding them through this. And based off of the learning objectives that they wanted to cover, right? And so by the end of the session, they were all very much like, oh my gosh, this was so much fun. I didn't know that it was this easy to create an instructional video. I thought that it had to be this and I thought it had to be that. So I think it's also just the misconceptions and the things that we put in our heads to create barriers uh, and excuses and reasons as to why we don't want to try something new as educators, right? And, And so I think, again, like, personalizing the learning for, educator, for educators, as well as providing them that space to fail, to mess up, to try it, to play, and then to celebrate when they've created something. I think that that's such an important part of PD.
2: Yeah, for sure. I One of my favorite sayings is go for done, not perfect. And especially when it comes to those instructional videos, because honestly, we're we're not perfect if we're teaching a live direct instruction lesson to our students. So we don't have to be perfect on that video as well. It's okay that there are mistakes in there. In fact, I I love keeping mistakes in my videos because sometimes it's a good tell to know if my students are actually understanding the material or not, because if they're not coming and asking me questions about it, I know, like, that's setting alarm bells off in my head, and I know that, you know, I need to check in with those students and make sure that they really are truly understanding that content. So sometimes mistakes are good.
1: Yeah, and I think mistakes are always good when we especially correct them. And I think, too, with mistakes, I always say again and again that our students actually love watching us make mistakes because we're modeling that it's okay to not be perfect um, time and time again, right? Like we expect perfectionism and that's just not ideal. And so our educators, like a lot of the educators that I've worked with, They will straight up say like, yeah, I'm a perfectionist. And it's like, okay now how can we disrupt that? Because I'm sure you're exhausted (laughs) (laughs) because I was that teacher as well. Right. Like I wanted everything to be perfect. And that's just not ideal. It's not realistic. It's not okay It took a lot of energy and time for me to show up as perfect as I could and then get really frustrated when I couldn't be perfect. And so, um, you know, this is something I tell educators, too, is that when you're creating videos, Show off your personality, be quirky, be weird, be odd, say your jokes, you know, Um, invite your fur babies in, invite whoever else in. Like It's okay because we are human beings and our students see us as real people when we create that space of just like showing up with ourselves authentically. And so just because we're recording it doesn't mean that we have to be super dry at all. Um, okay, so listeners, we're going to take a quick break for an announcement. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about um, EduGals and just Rachel's experiences. And so we'll be right back.
3: Hey, listeners, it's Tony Rose here with some announcements and reminders. If you and or your teacher bestie are interested in the virtual mentorship program, we do have scholarships available. Make sure to check out modernclassrooms.org scholarships. We have regional scholarships available for educators in Baltimore City, New York City, D.C., Chicago, Tulsa County, and the Twin Cities that include full tuition, a year of implementation support, and a $500 stipend for finishing the program. We are continuing our scholarship across the state of Indiana, which includes implementation support and 30 PGPs. Any educator in the state can enroll right now at modernclassrooms.org slash Indiana. We also have partnerships with districts across the country who are paying for educators to go through our training. As for professional learning, make sure to check out our webinars page on modernclassrooms.org slash webinars. And to connect with our community, join our Twitter chat on the first Wednesday of the month and our virtual meetup on the second Wednesday of the month. Both are at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and we hope to connect with you outside of our podcast.
1: All right. And now we're back with Rachel. And so, Rachel, we just got done talking about ways to motivate our educators or really, honestly, just to create an entryway for our educators. And so we're going to shift a little bit. And so what are some celebrations and challenges of trying to get educators to try a new strategy? And how do you get educator buy-in?
2: Sometimes I find with with getting buy-in is just even starting the conversation. Sometimes it takes the conversation to even get to the point of trying that small thing. And so when I say conversation, you know, if if there's something you want your teachers to try, then share, share about it, share your experiences, share what's happening in your classroom, and talk about the things that are going well and the things that are challenging to you. Because I feel like the more we share that and have that sort of that open dialogue and conversation to get going, the more interest that starts to peak. Like sometimes it takes educators hearing about a thing a few times and hearing about the stories before they're willing to even try that small thing to get going. Um, So that's, that's kind of both, I, I guess almost like the celebration and the challenge in itself is is uh, like the celebration is getting them to that point of being able to try that small thing. But the challenge is getting there and getting that buy-in in the first place and, uh, you know, getting getting that, that ball rolling. Yeah, and I think
1: it's also really powerful as well when we create that space for teachers or educators to talk about what their challenges are and uh, being able to find or help find solutions for it, right? And not necessarily like, well, here's the thing that's going to fix all your problems without even hearing out what their problems are. And I think another thing too, that you said is like, educators need to hear it a few times. That's so true. And just the fact that stories are again, another powerful tool, right? Like tell a story about how you overcame something. And this is something that you tried and it was amazing. Uh, And so Again, a lot of the times just teachers need to be need to hear it a lot more times than just the one time. Um, And and yeah, that's that's great. And you're right. It's a celebration and a challenge in itself. (laughs) I also learned something, too, with educators is that they they want educators want to feel like they came up with the solution themselves. Right. And not just someone being someone telling them what the solution is. I know as an educator, I definitely hated, hated it when someone would come and observe me and then tell me how to do my job. I'm like, excuse you, no. (laughs) And that in itself is like not okay, right? Like my reaction was not okay, but it's also not okay for someone to come in there um, thinking that they could solve all of my problems with that. Having a conversation with me first. So, again, just starting that conversation is really powerful. Sharing your stories and just continue to talk about all the great things that are happening as well as challenges that you've overcome is it's like simple but yet so impactful. So, um, what are one to two tips that educators can start implementing right away to make a more equitable and accessible learning environment?
2: So I think one of the big things that has really, really impacted my classroom this year is video, video for sure, creating those short instructional videos. So I, I can speak for both Katie and myself. We both teach English language learners. So Katie is the ESL lead for her school. I'm also teaching a, a class of ESL science. And video for those students has been such a game changer you know, there they're still there are there are various levels of being able to learn English. And so any of the videos I create, I post up through YouTube. And I use YouTube on purpose because YouTube has that tool of being able to auto-translate all the closed captionings into whatever the student's first language is. You know, the translations might not be perfect, but at least it's something. And then that gets those students being able to listen along and hear the English while also being able to read it in their first language. So I would say video is definitely a game changer in terms of creating a more equitable and accessible learning environment. The other thing I think is choice. Um, So going back to thinking about what your learning goal is, um, what kind of modalities might support your learning goal, what kind of tools you might use really knowing your learners i think is step number 1 and then being able to provide the choices for those learners based on trying to reduce or minimize any learning barriers that are present for your students so I, that also is key to building those equitable and accessible learning environments and i would say two resources that i find absolutely fantastic for that into really kind of guide my thinking is the UDL guidelines, the universal design for learning guidelines from cast.org. I think that's a really great place for you to start kind of thinking about well, what potential learning barriers might there be for my students and how can I then support all learners in my classroom. Along with the uh, the Learner Variability Navigator, that's from Digital Promise, uh, kind of goes along with the UDL guidelines and has some really great teaching and learning strategies in there to, to really ho- help support and build that equitable and accessible learning environment. So video choice, I would say those are kind of like my two big things. And those are great resources that you just named. So listeners, you'll actually
1: find that in the show notes. And so definitely check that out as soon as you can. I would like to add another thing to Rachel when I when you talked about minimizing learner learning barriers that's really important for us educators to keep in mind right Um, another thing that I would also say is the fact that as educators we sometimes create learning barriers unintentionally for our kids. Right. And so being able to think about our practice and thinking about what we put in front of our students and the systems and procedures that we have in place, we really want to sit and think about, okay, if half of our class is taking too long or if majority of our classes are not mastering something, what is a barrier that I might have unintentionally created that my students cannot access this learning or cannot feel successful in this learning. And so that's definitely something that I ask myself plenty of times when I start implementing the model is that in my head, I think my students should know how to do this thing, but then it's taking them forever. And so then it's like, oh, okay, so I have not provided that support that my students needed just yet, right? Or I have this big thing that I want them to do, but like no guidelines on how to get there. And so as an educator, it's really important for us to also sit and reflect and figure out, hey, what are the learning barriers that are out there for my students, but also what learning barriers am I creating that I didn't even know that I was creating? Uh, and so I think that in itself is just It's a it's a hard question to answer sometimes, but I think as we continue to do this inner work, right, as we continue to not only look out but also look within, we'll create a space that's really great for our learners and for ourselves too as educators.
2: Yeah, for sure. And it's funny you mentioned that because looking back, we we've just started running grade nine science course this year with new curriculum and. I'm working with a really great team of educators where we're we're implementing the model and also doing various other things to support our learners because this uh, this grade nine science course is de-streamed, which means that we have all sort of learning levels within a single stream for our grade nine courses, and so that's that's a very new practice for us. And what we noticed in our first sort of unit is we were seeing that that thing, we were seeing that a lot of our learners were taking a really long time to get through our lessons. And we realized the barrier we were creating for them is that we were putting in almost too much choice into our lessons. So we were having must do, should do, and aspire to do activities in every single lesson, which was actually overwhelming some of our learners. And so, you know, noticing that we've we've brought it down and we've re-chunked and re-sort of jigged our our next unit and it's going much better. So yeah, being reflective and and really sort of, you know, thinking about, well, if something's not working, like what what is that barrier? Um, it like it's just it's so important to, I guess, kind of like be in tune with that and and be reflective throughout your practice.
1: Yeah. I and mean, you know, as educators, it's really easy to blame the curriculum. It's really easy to blame student behavior. It's really easy to blame everything else. Right. But also like ultimately as educators we can also be super intentional with the things that we create for our students with the kind of learning experience that we want our students to have and so i really love that you shared that experience rachel because it is really important for us to be like oh i didn't do that one the best way that i should have done it right and so for you was that too much choice and for my experience it was the guided notes that was a barrier for my students and so really being able to revamp it, having conversations with my students, having conversations with my team about like, hey, this thing is happening. What are we doing that may be inhibiting our learning? Um, Or what is it something that we can change? Right. And so thank you so much for that, Rachel. I think a lot of the times I also need that reminder. And so I'm sure our listeners really um, appreciate that. And so what do you hope to see in the future and what goals do you have? It can be education. It can be, you know, personal,
2: whatever you want to share with us. I think, well, I I have quite a few goals, but um, in terms of EduGals, I would say our our goal is we just recently hit 100 episodes. We're up to 107 now. So our next goal is to, to get to that 200 mark. <laughs> Um so we're we're working towards that just kind of building and um being able to to share what we know and and connect with other educators is is kind of our goal with our work through Edugals. 200 mark that's amazing. I hope that you're also celebrating that you reached 100 and you're now at 107. So <laughs> every time we record and I say the episode number one oh one oh something I get a little head tilt from Katie so oh
1: that's so beautiful (laughs) so beautiful so Rachel how can our listeners connect with you
2: there's a few ways you can connect with us so if you if you'd like to connect with edugals our email is info at edugals.com our website's edugals.com And uh, our Twitter handle is at EduGals. If you want to connect with me personally, um, you can reach out to me through my Modern Classrooms email. So that's Rachel.Johnson at ModernClassrooms.org. And I'm also on Twitter at Dr. R. Johnson. It's a mouthful of a handle, but uh, (laughs) it is what it is. Oh, my gosh. I just love being in this space with you, Rachel. I know you
1: were talking about it previously, too. It's like it's been a while since you and I have been in the same space. So this is really, really, really nice. So um, thank you again for your time and energy this morning. It's truly a pleasure to be in this space with you again. So listeners, remember, you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org. And you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 116. We'll have this episode's recap and transcript uploaded to the Modern Classroom blog on Friday. So be sure to check there or check back in the show notes for this episode if you'd like to access those. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week and we'll be back next Sunday.
0: Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at modernclassproj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students and schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast.